Welcome to the fourth episode of Toasted Sister. I'm your host, Andy Murphy. I think about food a lot. Maybe this is a normal habit for us because we have to eat every day several times a day, but sometimes that can get out of hand. Sometimes food becomes the enemy, and for some, food can be an addiction that leads to obsession, binges, and disordered eating. Today we're going to talk about being a foodie and being addicted to food. I have Monica Brain with me. She's my friend and coworker, and she's here to discuss food addiction with me. So what is an eating disorder? What is food addiction? Are they maybe different? Yeah, um, food addiction is sort of like one part of uh, one eating disorder that's called uh, binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. In general, uh, eating disorders are they're clinically defined by the DSM-5 or 6, I don't know what they're at right now, um, as uh, – Disorders, you know, things that that are problems with mental health. So there's a really recognizable eating disorders like anorexia, right, which is where you starve yourself. And then um, there's another one called bulimia um, where you binge on food, you eat a lot of food, and then you throw it up or you purge it in some way, sometimes by taking laxatives. And there's a a subset of that where people um, exercise obsessively. What I believe I've been diagnosed with is binge eating disorder, which is just plain old eating too much food in binges. Um, Usually what happens is you eat a lot of food in a small amount of time, a short amount of time. So I've eaten an entire large pizza in, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And um, my eating disorder is mostly just Uh, that, just binging. Occasionally, a couple of times I've made myself throw up the food, but for the most part, um, what happens for me is just a lot of planning and then uh, (laughs) then feeling very sick for a while. So I realized that I had a problem with it. I mean, I've always had a problem with it. I can remember back when I was a kid hiding food from my family and uh, eating in secret and things like that. But uh, when I was in my 20s, I was watching an episode of Oprah, and she had these addicts on, and like women who are addicted to pills or heroin, things like that. And she mentioned that she thought she was a food addict. And I had never heard of that before. I, I mean, it just didn't occur to me that you could be addicted to something that we have to eat every single day. But here was Oprah saying it. And so I got online and I did some research. And I found um, that there was even a 12-step program for people who are food addicts. It was called Overeaters Anonymous or OA. And so I started going to OA meetings. That was really helpful for me to be able to, like, understand what is going on with me. Like, why am I so unhappy? Why why do I constantly think about food? You know, um, why am I always planning what I'm going to eat and things like that? And so th- it was uh, the same model that um, Alcoholics Anonymous follows, Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, you go to meetings Um, Instead of being sober, they call it being abstinent. You have to define that for yourself because 
the it's a gathering of people with all kinds of disordered eating. So anorexics will go to Overeaters Anonymous and they'll define their abstinence as eating three healthy meals a day, which is funny to me that I I would never have the problem like of (laughs) not eating three meals a day. So um, you work steps, you get a sponsor, things like that. I never really it was it was a struggle. I still struggled with food. And so I stopped going to the meetings because I just didn't feel like it was the right thing for me. So a few years ago, I actually went into therapy and uh, with at an eating disorders clinic. And that's when I finally was able to like really do some work around my own eating disorder and food addiction and really sort of begin this path to what we call recovery, which is basically like you're not living in a hellish nightmare of addiction all the time. Let's go back a little bit to uh, some of those feelings. Like you're, you're describing it as like a hellish nightmare. I mean, when you did eat that whole large pizza or a whole bag of chips or something, you just overdid it. What do you really feel like uh, afterwards? I mean, if I could, I'd love to talk about how I felt before, because that's actually the key to recovery is okay. that something happens, something triggers you. Um, you could be happy about, I had this really awesome day at work, and now I'm going to celebrate with food. Or you could be upset, someone said something to me and it hurt my feelings, or um, I'm really unhappy with the way my life is in general, and I'm thinking about all these things. And then the next thing you know, you're you're eating, you know, or you're planning, you're going to the store and you're like, I'm going to get whatever I want. And I'm going to eat it and I'm going to think about it later. And so there's a lot of guilt and shame while you're doing it, while you're eating and while you're consuming. And a lot of times it's high sugar, high fat food. So that creates this like chemical situation in your body that does give you a little bit of a high. And I've, I've read some research where they have looked at food addicts' brains and compared them to heroin addicts when they get high and it's the same areas of their brain light up, which is really interesting and also really scary because heroin addicts can just stop using heroin but, you know, you can't live on nothing. <laughs> Believe me, I've thought of, like, would it be okay if maybe I could just get, like, a feeding tube and never have to f- make any decisions about food and have that choice taken away from me so I wouldn't be in this place where I would binge. So, yeah, so there's, there's a horrible feeling, lots of shame, lots of guilt, and it's also physically really uncomfortable. Um, I know... Uh, other people who have this disorder who have like lots of health consequences as a result of it um, because it really messes with your your hormones and your metabolism. Your body is not used to consuming so much food in such a short amount of time. So you've been dealing with your eating disorder for a while now. Um, how has it uh, ultimately had an effect on your life even today, like today, Thursday, <laughs> Friday? I mean, it's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it's had a lot of effect in a variety of ways. Um, depression and anxiety comes with eating disorders a lot of times. So there have been periods of my life where I just 
isolated myself and didn't want to go out and didn't want to see anybody and just really did not interact with people as a result of it because I was so ashamed of what was going on and not able to seek help. But when you have a disorder, you know, a lot of times that disorder, you don't want people to know about it. So I actually am pretty uncomfortable eating in front of people, (laughs) which is surprising. It's definitely affected that. Like it's isolated me from society. It's isolated me from my relationships. I've had to uh, apologize to my family for my behavior at times because it it makes me um, not a very pleasant person to be around. (laughs) I'm overweight and so it affects my health um, in sort of a variety of ways. But I think the psychological effect is, is way, way more challenging. It's really difficult to sort of like connect. An example is like when I go out with friends or here with at work um, and food is involved, there's a lot of planning that has to go on behind the scenes for me to be able to do that and be okay with it. So so a lot of times I will go and look at the menu and I'll check the menu and I'll make a decision about what it is I'm going to order that's healthy for me, that may not trigger a binge. That has to do with like getting back the power and control of the situation because I know that I'm going to be nervous in this social setting. And so one thing I can control is picking what it is that I'm going to eat in advance and planning that and and sticking to that. Yeah, I can imagine because working with you, um, I know a couple of times you've been sort of stressed out walking by the table where we usually put our sweets or, you know, public food (laughs) for everybody to share. And if it's something like uh, cupcakes or if it's something like um, that huge box of uh, bagels from Einstein's Bagels, you'll you know, kind of wig out a little bit and have some <laughs> some anxiety yeah. ar- around those things. And honestly, like sometimes I kind of think that's annoying too. And I guess I'm sorry for that. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, <laughs> I don't think you need to apologize at all because this is my, you know, my disorder. Mm-hmm. That ta- It's not perfect, you know, like recovery is not perfect. And so it takes a lot of work constant work, actually, (laughs) to be able to just sort of function like a normal person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this is something I say all the time to um, the professionals that I work with to manage this disorder, like, why can't I just eat like a normal person? And then, you know, they're, they're often, well, what is normal? Describe normal. And I'll describe like, Well, someone who doesn't have to agonize over the bagels on the table. And they'll point out that's something that many people who don't have eating disorders will think about because we're all trying to eat better in a way that we can, you know. Um, And there's all kinds of temptations out there, you know, whether it's bagels on the table or cupcakes or things like that. But, yeah, I mean, I... I write down all the food I eat. I track it in an app that was specifically created for people with eating disorders. It's called Rise Up. Because one of the things with eating disorders, a lot of times people uh, obsessively count calories and things like that. And so this app doesn't have a place where you can put calories in. It's just about keeping track of your food. Sometimes I'll write down my feelings like, 
this is like so upsetting and everything. And I know that it's not some sort of personal attack. It's just like these are the things that you have to navigate through, just like an alcoholic has to at some point will go to a social setting where alcohol is being served and they have choices to make about what they choose to drink, just like I do about what I choose to eat. The sad thing is that um, so much of our cultural celebrations, and so when you struggle with this, especially when I'm like back home in Montana, I don't want anyone to be offended if, for me, like fried products and things like that, those are like, they trigger me to eat more and binge more. And But at the same time, I'm not, you know, you can't say no when someone hands you an Indian taco. It's a struggle for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I find myself uh, sort of struggling with uh, a couple of those feelings, maybe not to that extent, but a couple of those feelings. I, I, I do overeat all the time. I am overweight myself. And I've, been, well, for me, I've been overweight since I was like two or three and that's just how you know we chose to eat in our family and sometimes I do struggle with I mean not sometimes I mean all my life I've struggled with my weight and sometimes I look back at my mom and my dad and I'm like why did you let us eat like this (laughs) and um you know and here it is now I I've constantly just been gaining weight until you know until I'm the size I am right now and it's hard to especially with food to say no to a lot of things and as and me getting into food myself and becoming a foodie a person who's always thinking about food who's excited about food who uh, does food photography and stuff like that and 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 writes about food and I have a podcast about food (laughs) it's hard to not think of eating everything. I haven't lost weight in years. I lost weight like maybe four or five years ago and I gained it all back. It's hard. Sometimes I kind of think that maybe I have some kind of eating disorder myself. I mean, it's this obsession with food in all parts of my life. And um, today I went to the hospital and I made myself an appointment with a nutritionist so they could help help me just understand that side of food. Because I, I, I understand food the way it is. Like, it's tasty. It's, it, it looks great. It, you know, you go to different restaurants and you, and you eat all these different things. And it makes you feel great that you're partaking in this part of culture. And that's my favorite part of culture, of anybody's culture, is their food. But at some point, I got to stop. And at some point, I got to, you know limit limits and stuff and I think going to a nutritionist will help me do that yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of getting help you know asking for help and getting help wherever you need it but I, I have to say like one thing that I really like learned from you when you first came here to work like we were all eating our lunches at our desks and you know I was just shoveling in the food as quickly as I could because there's so much work to be done and don't even deserve to sit down and eat and all of that and you just automatically sat at this big table that we have and ate your lunch and enjoyed your lunch and I remember telling my therapist like I really want to live like that because you know she really enjoys her food and food has just become like this chore for me or a weapon to you know or or, um, 
something that you use to comfort yourself, you know, to deal with your stress and things like that. And um, I feel like I've really learned a lot from you about that, even though that's why we have professionals. You know, you can talk to them about like whether or not if there is a situation going on or it is just, you know, 50 percent of the country is overweight. We have terrible diets in this country. Um, the emphasis is on food, on salt, sugar, and fat. And our foods are created and manufactured for us to crave and eat more. There is a chemical part of this. It's not all just 100% psychological. But it's, it's really hard because of the cultural side of it. You know, you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And this is something I am constantly discussing with my nutritionist is there's no foods that are like completely off limits for me, but there are foods that if I limit them, I feel better. And so um, usually when I go to the foods that I don't, that I'm supposed to be limiting and I eat them, I can sort of psychologically break down. Well, like, I didn't want people to think I was a weirdo. So we were out in public or, you know, or just the straight up, like, I needed this. I wanted it. I'm going to eat it kind of thing. Yeah. uh, Going home and uh, trying to eat healthy. And um, it just doesn't happen (laughs) at my house (laughs) with my parents, uh, with my family. That doesn't really happen. Uh, It seems like every single, um, well, now every other weekend, we're seeing each other. Either my parents are coming here to Albuquerque or uh, this weekend my sister's coming here and I'm already starting to think, where are we going to go eat? I, I, I had this new thing this week and I want to try this restaurant or let's go to Olive Garden because now I can go to fast food restaurants now that my year, uh, now that my 2016 New Year's resolution is over and I can eat at chain restaurants. I'm so, I don't know why I'm so excited for Olive Garden. There I said it. <laughs> but yeah, we, we can't just, when we get together, it's always some kind of feast. I don't think in a long time we've had something that was portion size. And I know my mom uh, made herself a New Year's resolution for this year to eat more in portion size sizes. And um, I can tell that's going to be hard, especially when we get together. And and that's just part of our being a family now. And now that, uh, you know, I've, I've showed my family these different restaurants and actually now that we can afford to go to different restaurants and spend $100 on a meal, it seems like we're eating a little bit more. I don't know how to stop it. I don't know how to just tell them, hey, let's just have something small because it seems like everybody's like, what? You know, we're in town. We're, this, is a, this is our day in town. Let's go eat somewhere. Let's go try that place. That place looks nice. Let's go try that place. I mean, maybe a nutritionist can help me with that. <laughs> it can, I can spread that over into the family. But, you know, I, I just really want to be healthier I want to go out with my boyfriend and not feel like (laughs) I know exactly how you feel and not feel like everybody's looking at us like he's my trainer. Can I just tell you that um, I have thoughts like that all the time about I don't have a boyfriend. So my thoughts are like when we're in public, when I'm in public, that people are thinking, like, what is this sad, pathetic, fat girl doing by herself? <laughs> and it's all part of this like really disordered 
view of body and body shape and food. I, I think our country has a collective eating disorder. Like we all have one because we're so disordered about looks and things like that. My therapist told me one of the best things my therapist told me was that we shouldn't be basing decisions in our life or spending a lot of time focusing on what we think is going on in other people's minds. Like you've created this entire scenario where people are thinking that your boyfriend is your trainer. And I guarantee you, if we just went and did a survey, we could, we could go and do a survey. And everyone is thinking, what am I going to eat for dinner? How many more reps can I do here? I can't believe my kid did that to the floor. I'm so unhappy with this. I, I have this to do at work. Everybody is thinking about themselves. You know, it's, it's very rarely that people are out there judging you and thinking about you. And for those people, like, does their opinion really matter? No. It did for a long time for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A long yeah. time. And I really had to let go of it. I mean, one of the things I've been working on with my nutritionist is I read this book called Life Without Ed. And it's about this woman who was an anorexic. Um, and she called her eating disorder Ed. And she turned him in a, into a person. And she actually had conversations with him. So Ed says things to her like, you're so fat and everybody thinks your boyfriend is your trainer right? Mm -hmm. That's the eating disorder talking. And um, part of like recovering from that is being able to ha get a divorce from this, this Ed and stop listening to him. So for a while, you know, you go through this phase where you're like, um, yeah, I hear you, Ed. I, I heard that, you know, and you listen to everything the eating disorder voice tells you and you listen to it and follow its instructions. And then after a while, you start talking back. No, I think you're wrong. I don't think people are thinking that about me. And then after a while, the voice just stops. It just goes away and doesn't come up very much. I'm not in that place yet, uh, but I, I did I went back to the gym for the first time in like three weeks the other day. And I was looking around at everybody there. They were so fit. And Ed pops into my head and he's like, these gym rats are uh, just disgusted that you're here. Like they're just thinking, what are you doing? And why are you walking so slow on the treadmill? You know, and I was able to just sort of say, like, nobody asked your damn opinion. Nobody wants to know what you think and do my workout. I don't always do that. It's not 100% every day that I'm able to like s silence that voice, but it's definitely part of the recovery process is being able to like really understand, is that my true authentic self that's talking or is this some disorder or just even bad feelings, bad vibes that's talking and which voice do I wanna hear more? You know, well, we're living in a very interesting time, um, depending how you look at it, depending how you feel, depending how uh, comfortable you feel with yourself. But we're living in a time where it's kind of OK to be fat. <laughs> is, is that uh, maybe an encouragement to you in, in your journey or? 
I don't think it's a, it's a time where it's okay to be fat. I mean, when I turn on the TV and I see leads in, in TV shows, no one is o- overweight. I mean, not even like marginally overweight, unless it's like a specific show about the fat couple or something like that. Mm. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that we need to focus more on health and what's healthy than on what's on the scale, you know? Uh, that kind of obsession is is not good for us. I don't really know if like, I mean, I guess I w- it would be great if if society accepted a variety of body shapes. And maybe we're headed towards that because we're so, you know, overweight. I have noticed the movie theaters are swapping out their seats. For bigger ones? Yeah. <laughs> I wish they would do that in airplanes. Yeah. That's where we need it the most. <laughs> Um, but I sort of feel like maybe it's what I have in my uh, Facebook feed, but I see a lot of, uh, you know, acceptance in that. But it's mostly like um, uh, stories or videos about, oh, we should start accepting this or look at this fat girl's doing this when nobody else is. Here's this first fat dance troupe, you know, making a music video or, you know, th- those are the kind of things that I'm seeing in my Facebook feed. I don't know if that's... Um, telling anything about our society and how it sees fat people but I want to see that I want to see that too more acceptance more different variety especially uh, also in Native America because in Native America we're all fat (laughs) more so than a lot of other communities we're number one (laughs) we're number one in diabetes obesity high blood pressure and stuff like that but Of course, what we see in the media, what we're feeding to ourselves, too, is this uh, skinny, you know, long-haired Native people. And the Twilight Boys. Yeah, the Twilight Boys, the the Barbie figure and, you know, stuff like that. And um, I don't know when we're going to get to that point when we see a big fashion model go down uh, <laughs> Santa Fe, that fashion show in Santa Fe. But that'd be awesome to see that someday. Do you think that there is... Uh, that we can accept different body shapes and still be focused on really making sure that we're healthy in our communities, that we're eating right. I mean, this is the question that I have all the time. Is it possible to be overweight and still be healthy? You know, my BMI is in this category that would possibly, that I would, I could probably qualify for bariatric surgery. When I looked at that number, I think the phrase was morbidly obese. I went to my nutritionist and I said, look, we've got to get on a different plan here. I know we're trying to manage my eating disorder, but I need to lose like 100 pounds or something, you know, like I'm going to die. And she sent me some research that showed that people who have a high BMI but are active and eat healthy um, are about the same health as people who are sedentary and have a regular BMI. And so not to panic so much, but to to really just keep focusing on these regular routines of I, I had to put my scale away. Actually, I've done it so many times. I just put it away because focusing on that number can be really unhealthy. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's almost kind of a controversy now is discussing just that. Um, uh, you see a lot of people saying, oh, you're glorifying, you know, obesity in this country. And sometimes they're just like, why not? 
<laughs> if if everybody has a if this is a collective food addiction, yeah, I don't think. I mean, being overweight is one thing, and it is a symptom of an eating disorder or some kinds of eating disorders. But there's so much more that goes with it: mm. disordered behavior and isolation, depression, all of those things. And so, just focusing on you know how big someone is or how small someone is. Um, really doesn't like paint a picture of whether or not you have an eating disorder. Well, so I describe myself as a foodie, but I also have some of those thoughts that you do, you have as a person who has an eating disorder. You know, what what are the differences or, or are you trying to like like you you were talking to me about how you like the way that I enjoy my food. I really love my food. Um do you think you're trying to reach that point into Foodiehood. Yeah, I would love to go from food addict to foodie. Uh, for me, I think it it involves like creating a ceremony at every meal, like just really like loving everything that I eat, but eating it in an appropriate amounts. Being able to spend time with the food, being able to savor it. I think all of those things are things that don't happen when you have a food addiction. And so um, it becomes tricky. So I'll let you know. I don't think I'm a foodie just yet. That was Monica Brain. She's a journalist with the Native America Calling radio program. She's also Assiniboine and Hunk Papa Lakota. Visit ToastedSisterPodcast.com for more episodes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Podcast Addict. And if you live in Crown Point, New Mexico, my hometown, catch Toasted Sister on the Navajo Technical University radio station, 107.3 FM KCZY. Music was created for Toasted Sister by C.W. Ione. Check out his music at cwayon.com.